Welcome to our latest episode in our podcast series looking at the FCA's consumer duty. My name is Sarah Cody and I'm a counsel in Linklater's financial regulation practice in London. I'm joined today by my colleague Duncan Campbell, who's a senior associate in the same team. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to focus on how to prepare customer communications that comply with the consumer duty, in particular, customer understanding outcome. We're going to answer three key questions. First, what the new duty requires in terms of firms' approach to customer communications. Second, steps firms can take to make sure their communications meet the requirements of the customer understanding outcome. And finally, we'll consider some approaches to testing. When it comes to complying with the consumer duty, lawyers are important, of course, but lawyers don't have all the answers, especially when it comes to an outcomes-based piece of regulation like the consumer duty. So to help us navigate this particular aspect of the duty, we're joined today by James Daly, who is founder and managing director of Fairer Finance. Hello there. So to start with, James, can you tell us a bit about yourself and about Fairer Finance? We started up to support consumers in making more informed decisions when they were buying financial services products, particularly those ones that they buy increasingly direct from providers. And as the business evolved, we started to work with firms, helping them deliver better customer outcomes. And because as part of the ratings that we do, we would be mystery shopping, the clarity of customer journeys, also assessing the clarity of technical documents. And when we'd share that data back with companies, they'd say, it looks like we're not doing as well as we'd like to. Can you help us? And then consumer duty came around. And, uh, and so over the last year in particular, we've been supporting a lot of firms firms with improving their communications uh, and helping them put plans in place. Great. Well, James, it'll be great to get your insights, but let's take a minute to set the stage, so to speak. So the Consumer Duties Customer Understanding Outcome asks firms to shift their focus away from the words on the page. Instead, to focus on analyzing what the retail customer actually understands, because understanding and having the right information at the right time is really key to consumers making good financial decisions. And this means that firms must consider all communication types, so written, verbal, visual, paper-based, electronic, and firms need to consider more nuanced elements of communication, such as behavioral bias and the way firms structure choice architecture. And they need to take into account customers' characteristics, including those of vulnerability. The FCA also has some really specific asks here. So first, communication should present information in a logical, plain, and intelligible way. Key information should be made prominent, including through headings, layout, and formatting, and design devices like tables, graphics, and interactive media. And relevant information should be provided with the appropriate level of detail. And when you're interacting with a customer one-to-one, you need to tailor your communication to meet that customer's information needs, as well as confirming that they've understood the information and whether they have any additional questions. And finally, firms need to test communications before communicating them to retail where this is appropriate and make adjustments where it's shown that those communications aren't being fully understood. Now, this isn't a blanket requirement to test all communications. Instead, it's about testing communications where that's appropriate. So different firms have different capabilities and different approaches are going to make sense in different situations. Uh, Some approaches might include A-B tests, uh, randomized control trials or focus groups. One rule of thumb, though, is that you should put equivalent effort into your communications testing as you do to determine how to maximize sales. And you should prioritize testing for communications that give key information to customers and communications that go to many customers and where there's a risk of harm. For example, if the recipient's vulnerable or if there's scope for harm, if the information is misunderstood or overlooked.
So, James, what is the current state of play in terms of customer communications? Most terms and conditions are hard for even the most educated people to understand. But then when you sort of look at that in the context of one in six adults having a a reading age of 11 or less, there are significant parts of the population that are going to struggle. What's really changed, particularly with the kind of rise of the internet and comparison sites, is that more and more financial services products are being sold directly to consumers without any support from an intermediary or broker. And so the information that's provided to customers is all the more important. And the FCA's had a few attempts at sort of raising the red flag here to the industry, but actually that didn't really lead to an awful lot of change in the sector. And what the consumer duty is going to do, you know, is raising the bar significantly and saying, okay, we want you to prove that your customers understand the information that you're giving to them. That really does raise the bar significantly from where we were. So let's dive into some of the practical steps. How can a financial services firm make documents easier for customers to understand? There are lots of easy ways to make your documents clearer to understand. Firstly, think about reading age. Um, There are easy tools to calculate reading age, and these are just a a rule of thumb, but effectively they look at average length of sentences in your document and average length of words. You know, we try and get it down to 11 years old or less when we're rewriting documents, and that absolutely is possible. Don't confuse low reading ages with dumbing down. It's just about using shorter sentences. So, you know, as a rule with our clear and simple mark, which is an accreditation for documents that have clear language and design, we have an absolute maximum for 29 words per sentence. Doing that exercise in itself can really start to simplify things because, you know, often once you look at a sentence that's long and you try and break it up, it it ends up with you having to sort of reframe the whole paragraph to make it clearer if you're going to stick within those 29 words. There are other things going through the document, looking for jargon and trying to remove that. Obviously, terms that might be used commonly in the legal profession are probably not going to be commonly understood, but also industry terms. Um, We've got a list of about 650 jargon terms that we measure documents against, taking a critical eye and trying to eliminate those and use simpler alternatives. Uh, And if you can't do that, then at least follow up with an explanation. So when we say liability, we mean this and explain it sometimes with an example. And then headings are really important, particularly in shorter form communications like letters uh, and emails. You know, you have to remember how everybody engages with communications these days. We're, we're bombarded. And so to get people's attention, you need to have a nice, clear, large heading, ideally a kind of call to action if, if the letter is demanding an action of the customer, something that if somebody pulls that letter out the envelope, that heading grabs them. And again, when you're looking at technical documents, making sure that the headings of all of your sections are intuitive. They are jumping off points for customers' lines of inquiry, not important information and general conditions where the average customer is going to have no idea what is lurking under there. And then aside from language, design, nice and simple, bigger font sizes, better spacing. You know, we have criteria around design, like no more than 400 words per page on average, minimum font size, color, thinking about color contrast as well for people that are colorblind or partially sighted. So you don't have one color sitting on top of another color that makes a document hard to read. So None of this is rocket science. In fact, we've published a couple of things in the last couple of months to help people. Uh, We published a guide in partnership with the ABI, uh, and that's free to access online. Uh, We published something quite similar with the Building Societies Association. There's lots of stuff out there to help you do this.
you've given us some really helpful tips already. But actually, it doesn't stop just with what's being said or the design of the specific communication. And the consumer duty is looking for firms to communicate at the right times and in the right medium for communications to be engaging, well-timed and relevant. And you started to touch a bit on that, but I'd like to pull that thread a bit more with you because in areas like consumer credit, firms are faced with statutory language and communications formats that they have to include, but which might not actually be well understood. What can they do to help customers understand what really could be quite crucial information for them? We talk a lot about the importance of layering communication. So if you do have key messages that you need to get across to your customer, the best time to kind of start with those is in the application journey because you know you've got their attention there. But that may not be the time to disseminate certain pieces of information or even if you do, they may not land at that moment. So for example, the charges for using a debit card overseas, you absolutely should talk about those when somebody's applying for a bank account. But perhaps the next time to talk about them is when you detect that their phone is now overseas. And then you can send them a notification and remind them of the charges for using their card abroad. But if you've got other things that they need to do in the life cycle of the product, thinking about the fact that people often don't open letters, or even if they do, they may need two or three communications in different mediums to understand uh, and really digest what they've got to do here. So let's think about insurance renewal again you might want to send them you know the first communication by mail a month before letting them know then you might follow up a couple of weeks later with an email if they haven't done anything by that point and then with a week to go you might follow up with a text message and then perhaps even one more text message at the final moment if they still haven't done anything and there's obviously a fine line between annoying your customers and ensuring that they're they're on top of what they need to do there's not going to be one right answer that's probably where the testing comes in and if you're thinking actually too many people aren't responding to this renewal notification or to the maturity of their mortgage, then, you know, perhaps you need to try some other communications to see if you can wake people up. In terms of mandatory communications, there are things that absolutely need to be mandated to be disclosed to the customer. But we really dislike regulators telling firms exactly how they have to do it. And I think that we will see the FCA undoing some of those prescribed communications over the next few years. And I think consumer credit may well be the first area. But if there are mandatory communications in your space, you should still be going above and beyond that, you know, just because they have said you have to put a pre-contract credit information notice in front of your customer. You may think, well, we can see most people aren't really engaging with that. So we're going to put more information in the application journey on the screen. We're going to get customers to actively tick boxes saying they understand certain clauses that we know some people don't understand. And of course, that's the danger of prescribed disclosure is that sort of people think that's all they need to do. But in a consumer duty world where you know, your obligation is to prove that your customers understand, then actually, you know, you will need to go above and beyond that. The You mentioned the Consumer Credit Act reform, but I think as well, PRIPS regime that the FCA is looking at, its work that it's doing there is positioned very much in the context of, well, we have consumer duty now. So what do we do with kids and those kinds of documents in the light of that? So I think this is really driving the FCA's approach to comms across the board.
So one of the things we are looking at with clients is really diving down into that customer purchase journey. That process can often be online now. Where you're signing up for a product online, what are the risks there in terms of the customer understanding outcome? You know, the risk with people applying for things online is that they want to get out of that journey as quickly as possible. And up until now, a lot of firms have really been set on trying to make that journey as frictionless as possible so that they can secure the conversion. What consumer duty does is you know, say, well, actually, you need to ensure that your customers understand your products. That application journey is one of those key moments where you know you have your customers' attention. So you can't waste that journey. You know, that means trying to disclose all of the sort of ins and outs of your products and key features that you know you know are perhaps not understood by all your customers. You're, you're seeing that come through in your trends and your complaints or the feedback you're getting in call centers. Using cash on a credit card, for example, it's a pretty expensive way to borrow money. You get charged for taking your cash out. You get charged interest from the moment the money comes out of the cash machine. You know, none of that tends to be disclosed in a credit card application journey at the moment. You know, if it's not disclosed then, then how are you sure that your customers really understand that? Uh, there's a balance to be struck between you know, putting too much information in front of a customer and, and giving them enough information. You know, the more statements that you get them to click and agree with and the more documents that you force them to open, the quicker they start just clicking yes, yes, yes and not engaging with stuff. So this is where testing comes into its own. A-B testing, you know, that's something that you absolutely need to be able to do so that you can see how a customer is engaging with the information you're putting on there. How long are they dwelling on particular parts of the journey? Are they opening documents that you're presenting? to them, measuring that up against the outcomes that you're seeing, thinking, okay, well, actually, we are still seeing quite a lot of customers demonstrating this behavior, which we know isn't actually a particularly great outcome for them. So are we sure that those customers understand that? You know, let's do some tweaks to our communication and tests and see whether that changes the outcome. Yeah, let's tease out some of the issues around testing a little more. Testing needs to be done in a proportionate way. And also some thought needs to be given to the methodology you're going to use so that you get results that are actually useful and actionable. When it comes to communications, I think be careful because it's very easy, I think, to waste a lot of money doing exercises which are not necessarily um, driving to exactly what consumer duty is trying to achieve. Firms need to first think about what is the point of this testing and then design the testing to meet that aim because the starting point is having the right MI to demonstrate whether or not you are delivering the right outcomes. Testing literally is most useful for when you can do it with real people, real clients, you have to be very careful about using pretend clients, so focus groups or quant panels, um, because that environment is very artificial. These aren't your customers. Uh, they're not in the context of experiencing your product. And we know from firsthand experience, particularly if you ask people their opinions directly and, and whether they understand stuff, people tend to present themselves as understanding more than they do. It'd be quite possible to set up consumer testing exercises that would give you a full sense of security. The most important thing is to stay anchored to the outcomes. What are the bad outcomes and how can you measure how often those are happening and then be experimenting experimenting with different forms of communication at different parts in the customer lifecycle to try and mitigate against those. Where you can do testing really effectively is in a digital environment. You know, it's absolutely possible to track actual customer behavior. You can sit there and understand where people are clicking and how long they're dwelling on different parts of your journey. And I think, you know, there very much is an expectation that firms will be testing their journeys.
So James, we heard the FCA talk a lot about these nudge and sludge practices and friction. These can be good and bad. It's possible to use friction in a positive way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about uh, in terms of the importance of the customer journey and, and the application journey and using that to disseminate those product features and fees and charges that you know customers may not always understand the way to do that is to slow things down a bit and that is positive friction so you know that may be rather than giving them a list of 25 things which you know are quite important and saying check this box at the bottom here to say that you've read and agree with all these statements you know think about actually putting together two or three of them and getting them to agree with those or in some cases individually or putting a video at the end of your application journey once they've already clicked purchase and you can say while we process your details here's a 60 second video and use that as a way to disseminate some information so it's finding ways to get consumers to engage you know slowing things down and um, if you do it well will hopefully mean you know less complaints more financially capable customers and happier customers because you know you're setting their expectations appropriately and, you know and equally the sort of the opposite of that positive friction you know is sludge slowing things down at times where you know it could be advantageous to you and makes life difficult for the customer so in insurance for example you know if you're still requiring people to fill in paper claims forms and put them in an envelope having a digital procedure to do that is where the expectation is going to be from the regulator you know you just need to think are, are there any parts of your customer journey not just at the application stage but anywhere in the life cycle where things are a bit harder than they need to be you know it does take a, a change in mentality you know a lot of financial services products have relied on a bit of inertia that's what consumer duty really shines the light on and and that's where firms are going to have to start thinking differently about how they approach some of those challenges Well, that's all we have time for today. James, thank you so much for coming and for giving us so many practical and actionable pointers. Do you have any final messages for our listeners? Consumer duty shouldn't be seen as a blind. It shouldn't be seen either as another frilly piece of principles-based regulation that isn't going to amount to anything. I think it, it's here to stay. I think it is going to drive the entire future regulatory direction of retail financial services for the for the FCA. The kind of end goal here is happier customers, stickier customers, and an industry that is trusted and, and liked more by its customers. That you can be highly profitable. Uh, and loved by your customers. I'm a big fan, as you might imagine. It's a lot to do. Don't get overwhelmed by it, but do take it seriously. Well, there's some really good messages to wrap up, James. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining us, James. Thank you for having me. Please do check out the show notes to this podcast, the links to our Consumer Duty webpage for all of our insights, including other podcast episodes. And like Farrah Finance, Linklaters is always here to help. So don't hesitate to contact us or anyone else in our team if you would like to discuss any aspect of the duty further. Thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.